This is the Dermalorian Podcast from the Dermatology Education Foundation. Welcome. The Dermalorian Podcast Series is an independent educational program made possible with support from UCB. Do you know your value to your dermatology practice? Do you know if you're being compensated fairly? Are you prepared to negotiate a raise or a new contract? In this episode of the Dermalorian Podcast, Michelle Salentrup, founder and CEO of MyDermRecruiter.com, provides insights on determining and demonstrating the value of an NP or PA in dermatology. First, she says, you need to know your numbers. So knowing the numbers your practice is collecting can also give you an insight on the stability and the overall financial position of the practice you're working for. So if a practice is unwilling to give you either a set of um, numbers, you know, either set of numbers, I should say the production or what they're collecting, to me, that is a red flag. Um, If they don't know, that's not good because how are they calculating how they're bonusing you? Um, If they're not able able to easily access it, you know, it's a red flag, right? So, you know, it it may be time to consider an exit strategy if they can't produce the proper numbers for you. Um, I talked to, unfortunately, a lot of NPs and PAs who came out of school. They took their first job because they really wanted to get in Durham, right? And love it. I'm so, so happy for them that they got into the specialty, but they may just be getting a base salary and that's it. And they don't get any production bonus. Don't feel bad if you're in that situation. It happens to a lot of people initially, but I will tell you that we will get you in a job where you're getting production bonuses. But um, when you get any amount of experience, you absolutely should be getting a production type bonus. So that directly relates to how much money you're bringing into the practice and therefore how much value you're providing to the practice. So it's important to know that you you have to have those numbers because even if you're getting a salary, you want to know like, okay, well, I'm I'm making 120,000 a year, but how much am I really bringing into the practice? We'll get into some percentage of what you should be making. But if you don't know those numbers, you can't negotiate. There's nowhere to go from that. So no matter what, Get those numbers quarterly at the least. Um, I, I would say that is your number one thing to take away from this entire webinar is if you don't know your numbers, go get them tomorrow. So once you have those numbers, how do you use them to negotiate? So what I always tell all um, of our experienced and non-experienced, you know, maybe eight months of experience at Dermot, P's or PAs or somebody who's been doing it five years is be prepared at all times um, so that you know how to negotiate either with your current practice on that meeting you're going to have at your annual review, or when you decide you're going to be going out and looking for a new opportunity. But prepare today um, for a discussion which you know is upcoming. It's either going to be that review or a new job, right? So I guarantee you, if you walk in to any meeting, interview or review with your production numbers, you will garner more respect in your negotiations um, because you have taken the time to lay out your value to that manager or owner. And you're showing them that you are in this together as a partnership to make it a win-win for you and them and leading to, you know, that leads to a long-term relationship that's keeping both parties happy. They know that you're 
going to give them what they need, you know, you're going to be fairly excuse me, compensated. Therefore, um, everybody's happy. It's a win-win. So I always suggest that any PA or NP and physician for that matter, keep an ongoing kind of spreadsheet of their numbers from each quarter um, to track their progress and their value and real numbers for themselves and to be utilized in those instances for negotiation. I have the suggestion to use a one sheet production explanation. I cannot tell you how effective this is. This is something newer that I have been recommending to doctors as well. Um, as MPs and PAs in Durham, it's really to display your numbers and value to the current practice manager or the potential new employer on a one sheet form. And what I love about it is it really gives you the power to highlight all of your non-money related skills as well. Um, obviously you have your things on your resume that are great, but what do your reviews look like on Google or ZocDoc? Are they okay? Are they great? You know, if you have stellar patient reviews on paper, some practices I know are still doing handing out the paper to the, the patient at the end of the visit and telling them to fill it out, get copies of those great ones. You know, your manager should be sharing those great ones with you anyway, hopefully, but um, get copies of those. I always tell people that um, if you have, you know, those stellar reviews online, on Google, on Facebook, on Instagram, I say you should be collecting those like baseball cards. So Anything that brings a great review to you and ultimately to the practice, that's a value to the practice that they can't buy for themselves. It's a hundred percent dependent on the value that you as their provider provide that quality care to patients brings them in more business. So very big win-win on that. Um, this production explanation sheet can be a game changer for new and very experienced MPs and PAs. We'll get back to Michelle and her description of the production explanation sheet in just a moment. But first, our Dermalorian clinical clip. Speaking at Derm 2022, dermatologist Dr. Brad Glick provided an update on the latest approvals for psoriasis and provided a peak in the pipeline. He begins with ducrovacitinib. What we know in terms of the benchmark for the clinical trial, in terms of POSI 75 responses, is there were significantly more subjects in the trial versus a placebo that achieved POSI 75, and that was statistically significant, and also a co-primary endpoint of clear minimal disease. It was also more effective than a primalast in terms of achieving POSI 75 by about one and a half times. You see the statistically significant differences not only be between treatment group with the six milligram once daily uh, oral therapy of uh, decravacitinib versus placebo with a very nice wide delta, a little bit of a placebo response, and again, about one and a half times as many individuals in the decravacitinib treatment group achieved POSI 75 and also clear minimal disease compared to apremolast. Uh, in terms of safety in both, th both three clinical, phase three clinical trials, the drug was very well tolerated, and the main adverse events were that of nasopharyngitis and URI. There were some low rates of headache, diarrhea, and nausea, uh, but the rates were lower than that would we typically see with apremolase, and the discontinuation rates were also lower in decravacitinib as compared uh, to both placebo and apremolase. Let me finish up by talking about bimekizumab, uh, a biologic therapy which hopefully will make it to market. 
Um, it's an investigational human monoclonal um, uh, antibody, an IgG1 monoclonal antibody that selectively inhibits interleukin 17A and F, and if approved, it'll be the fourth biologic, and there might even be a fifth in the class of interleukin 17 blockers. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. It was studied in a multitude of clinical trials, be ready, be sure, be vivid, and also be radiant, and I'll, I'll focus on a couple of them, just a couple of moments. Be sure was a 56-week trial and a 52-week trial, be, uh, be vivid trial with bimekizumab-treated subjects um, demonstrating superior skin clearance uh, in a 16-week controlled uh, period in the clinical trial versus a multitude of head-to-head -head comparator agents in adalidumab, eustachinumab, and also versus placebo. And these were statistically significant differences with a high bar of POSI-90. The B-Radiant trial was unique in that it was the first phase three study to compare the efficacy and safety of a dual interleukin 17A and F uh, inhibitor versus an interleukin 17A inhibitor. The study met uh, all its primary endpoints with significantly more patients uh, achieving very high bar of POSI 100 at week 16, um, where there are significant numbers, 61% achieving that high bar. Innovation in the treatment of inflammatory skin disease certainly continues. Let's get back to Michelle Salentrup speaking during the Dermalorian webinar series about a simple production explanation tool. It's a super simple document but it's extremely powerful. Um, I think every medical provider needs to have this. You can call it what I have a production explanation of value explanation. Um, this is a big deal. Um, on your resume, you know, you're constantly adding, you know, new skills you learn, or of course you should be. Um, so you want to do the same by creating an addendum to your resume and call it this production explanation or value explanation. This should just be a little one page. I like it electronically because we can put links in it to our reviews that are online and such, as you can see on here. But I also like it as, um, a sheet where you could have two separate, you could have one that is electronic that you could email to your practice manager, or you can email to a potential employer. And then one on paper that you can keep with your resume or bring to your negotiation to show them and then let them know you'll send it electronically for those links as well. But the, the nice thing about this is, is that it's really simple. It's perfect using it as a negotiation tool because it's full of facts and not fluff. I love that because it provides you that leverage. We've been discussing this whole time of showing your value, right? So this document should be, if you look at it closely here, um, this particular candidate has four years of experience. Um, so we listed out the production years and I, I always put it, you can put on there based on collection of data provided by your previous practices, because that's usually where you're getting it from, right? So then that's why it's like, this is the data they gave me. So if anybody's, you know, trying to tell you, you know, is this true? Well, that's what the practice gave me off our EMR. Um, I always put total years of experience on there, um, but production for the year and like average patients per day over the year, maybe, or you could say, grew from patients per day grew from this number to this number, just to show them, because, you know, if it's a new office, right. Or it's a brand new practice or it's an air, it's a brand new job for you at that point, you know, you're going to grow as your years come. Um, but I think Michelle, showing your production. Yeah. Yeah. Th this is fantastic. And I think that, you know, it's great to put these numbers out there, 
And especially when you're young or, or newer in practice, showing that first year, don't be self-conscious about what your collections or production are, because um, you're not expected in that first year or so to be super productive. Oftentimes you're working alongside someone else. So um, it, the important thing are these trends of growth to show that as you became more experienced, your uh, production and collection numbers increased. And as you were seeing, you if you're looking at this from a employer's perspective, you can see, okay, this patient, this um, MP or PA here has got four years of experience. They're seeing 30 patients a day. That's what we like to see in our practice. And um, they can kind of make a determination on what your production will be based on what their specific practice is set up for. Yeah, absolutely. That is a huge point that I definitely want to make is that, you know, if you have eight months or nine months of experience, this might be intimidating to look at, right? You're like, uh, I only have nine months, but boy, what an advantage you have to start this now in your career, to log this information, know its importance, know how it will resonate with all of your current managers, future employers. So don't be self-conscious about this. This will grow. And, you know, I, I work with um, Casey D'Amato at a physician assistant, um, certified physician assistant consulting. Um, she's a former in clinic Durham PA, and she does a lot of coaching on this stuff. So if you don't like how your sheet looks right now, maybe you've been in the industry for five or six years. Maybe you don't like how your sheet looks and maybe you're maybe it's the practices problem. It's really not your problem, right? You're doing the best you can. You're there. You're ready to see patients. If you need a one-on-one -on -one coach for that kind of thing, I love Casey D'Amato at CPAC. She's awesome at that. And you don't want to overdo it on this thing, right? This is very powerful with just the facts it has. I always tell people two to five years of data. It's kind of like, what have you been doing the last two jobs you had, or what's your numbers really look like over the last two to five years? Um, so don't be intimidated um, by that. If you have nine months experience, put your nine months on here. Um, I, I do tell people I had somebody do this um, uh, last week. They had an offer out or they were getting an offer and they wanted to send the week, their, this sheet over to the manager before they put the offer together um, because we knew it might come in a little lower than she wanted. Um, her years of service did not match her resume. <laughs> so ensure your years of service match your resume. So for example, on here, it says production for following years. Well, it's nice if we all work at the same place, the whole year of 21, the whole year of 22, the whole year of 23, right? If you don't, so you work somewhere August of 21 to December of 2022, and you had to move, right? Or whatever happened, right? That's okay. You can set it up that way under these productions for years as well, or productions under for experience too. So you can reword that if you'd like. So if you want to say August of 2021 to December of 2022, I had this much in um, production um, and I saw about this many patients a day. That's totally great as well. doesn't have to be laid out exactly like this. What you want is the power of the punch of the facts in it, right? The other thing I always tell people to, to do is Google yourself. We had um, a candidate we were working with and I was like, well, do you have any good reviews out there? Do you have anything I can send in to this manager? So, you know, she can take a look at that. Cause there was a lot of candidates. It was a very popular area and I wanted her to stand out. Um, and she's like, yeah, I don't really, I don't really have any. I'm like, okay, I'm on the phone with her. And I Googled her and I found seven in about 30 seconds and they were all glowing reviews. I'm like, you have to Google yourself, right? And save those links, put them on a spreadsheet for yourself. Honestly, reviews sit on the internet forever. 
good, bad, or ugly. They're out there. Right. Um, but you know, most of them are fantastic. Um, so you want to have those links available so that you can put kind of this patient reviews. I like this little synopsis that one of our candidates did. Um, she said, you know, for 2024, this is not real data, but we did a mix of things, but it says current practice asks the patient to fill out a paper card for reviews. We have a practice in Arizona. They have three locations. They're still on paper cards at the end of their visit for reviews. True of a lot of practices still. Um, they like to have those. Um, so what she did is she took a copy of everyone that she had. She averaged it out um, over all the ones that she had for that year. A lot of times the EMR now, um, they're adding that data into it. So you can ask your manager for that too. But guys, keep track of those. Those are great things to have to sell yourself. You went to school to be an amazing medical provider, not a salesperson necessarily, right? But we teach you, um, between people like Casey D'Amato and myself, teach you to really sell yourself to get, again, show your worth, show your value to get the most money you can get. Um, so having these things on there with these little explanations, I think is really, really smart. Having the links to those reviews, very, very smart. If you don't have the link, copy and paste if you're more comfortable with that. But building this for yourself, along with how you add on to your resume through the years is very, very effective. I always have them say updated the last time they updated it, just like your resume. I, I encourage people to say updated May, 2023, number one for yourself to make sure that it's the right copy that you're sending on to a hiring manager. Um, but number two, also for your, um, your records that, you know, you know, that when the last time you've updated it, Oh, I better look and see, I haven't looked at my Google reviews or my ZocDoc or my whichever ones lately. Right. So I want to do that, make sure I have the most up-to-date great reviews on there that are available. So does this make sense to everyone? Is there questions on this particular production explanation or value explanation, as I like to call it, I like value explanation a little bit better. If you want help putting one of these together, if you're going to be looking for a job, we help you with that. Our team will help you. Absolutely. Especially that, if you're looking for an opportunity. Well, this is great, Michelle. Um, there are no open questions specific to this, but this is, I think, you know, the one page aspect of this is really genius. And uh, the reviews, the suggestion for the reviews is actually very impactful because proactively having those really um, shows your relevance and awareness of things that are happening outside of the office. And um, it can oftentimes be something that the employer is going to be looking at afterwards by driving them to it ahead of time. It's a real positive. Absolutely. I, I never like, I always say, don't make them Google you. <laughs> for them, right? You know, so don't, don't make that you want to take away as many steps out of the process as you can for your manager, for your, for whoever it is that is interviewing you present that to them, this beautiful package of who you are so that you get again, that most value, that most leverage of who you are. Um, so it's a great negotiation tool. It's a great tool, um, to have, whether you're in a practice or you're going to make a move either way, keep it. I think build this along in your career, just like you do your resume and it'll really pay off for you. You know, when we look at our placement data over the last five years for NPs and PAs in Durham, they're generally making 25 to 30% of their overall collections. I used to say 20, 10 to 30% because it was a wider range. 
So a year ago, I would have said 10 to 30%. This year I'm saying 25 to 30. In my notes, I even had 20 to 30 and I went back and looked at our data. It's really 25 to 30% of overall collections. Joe, how's that compare with what you know? Yeah, it compares very well. I'd say in general, spot on 25 to 30% is what you can expect. Um, and, you know, with, you know, aligning with an expert such as mydermrecruiter.com or having, you know, more experience and having gone through this process through multiple jobs um, after, you know, eight, 10, 12 years of experience, those numbers go up from there. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do, it- I do really think that it can't be understated that you know, I think most of us just kind of go in and we're hoping just to get a position. But the more that you can arm yourself with allies, um, it really helps you evaluate the contracts. There's certainly a lot to decode in the process of negotiating and in clinical practice, too. In this episode's Dermalorian Derm Decoder, dermatologist Dr. David E. Cohen explores the connection between atopic dermatitis and contact dermatitis. Eximitous dermatitis like AD and contact dermatitis seem to be comorbid and overlap a great deal. So patients with difficult to treat AD, those failing two or more topical therapies where the patient ought to get better and they don't, when they're patch tested, have this remarkable, almost unbelievable result of three quarters had allergic contact dermatitis. 40% of them were polysensitized to multiple allergens like lanolin, uh, surfactant cocobetane, um, chromates and fragrances. Second bolts from a paper we published just two, three years ago, looking at all of the articles on AD and atopic, uh, AD and contact dermatitis. How close do they come together? And it seems like there's a preponderance of evidence that those with AD do get more frequent patch test reactions to lanolin, fragrances, preservatives, and not surprisingly, corticosteroids from their regular use. But if that doesn't convince you, how surprising is it that if you put a North American 70 or 80 on, I think a great fundamental patch test series, you patch test them and you add some others based on their history, a fifth of the patients that were tested had a reaction to patch test allergens above and beyond the 70 and 80. So like number 84, number 101. And when you looked at who that group was that did that the most, it was the atopic group. Atopics get allergic contact dermatitis. That was Dr. David Cohen speaking at Derm 2022. Derm 2023 is just around the corner. Are you joining us in Las Vegas August 3rd through 6th? Information and registration are available at dermnppa.org. Thank you for joining us for the Dermalorian podcast. The Dermalorian podcast series is an independent educational program made possible with support from UCB. Catch up on previous episodes and hear new content wherever you stream podcasts.